So this, this machine is science fiction, right? I mean, it's interesting to see that we talked about this for a long time and it's finally working, but let me ask you a key question. My translator in the back, Hector, do you think he will be unemployed because of this? Well, the answer is, you know, right now, not really, right? because this machine does a very simple translation. But it is, in fact, what we call artificially intelligent. Right? And this machine learns every time I speak something, it learns more about me. And it gets better. And in 10 years, this machine can translate what I say now, when I speak slowly. Huh? But United Nations conversation, a political speech, maybe not ever. It's a very good lesson for us for the future. What we do changes, but humans are going to stay in work in different ways, which I'll explain shortly. This is why transformation is so important. This is why we have to talk about what transformation actually is. And you know, the most important thing from today really is that transformation is not about technology. Technology is everywhere now. It's like breathing. <laughs> so we use technology everywhere. Transformation is about culture. How do we change how we look at the world? What do we understand about the future? The successful companies today that have transformed, including German companies like Mercedes-Benz and many others, you know, how, they have, how have they changed? They changed because they changed their culture. They changed the way that they look at things. So it's very important that we look at this one in a different way. Also, I think many of you may have noticed the last couple of years, there's a lot of people who are shocked by the future. In fact, I would go as far as saying that people are sometimes afraid of the future. They have what Elvin Toffler called the future shock. And I get to hear this a lot when I speak to people that are saying, oh, you know, the future is not going to be good because we have climate change. And then we have these strange political things that happened, which I will not comment on in more detail. And then, of course, we have machines who will take our job. The robots will take our job, and then afterwards they will kill us. That, that's what you hear from science fiction. So I'm here to tell you, yes, the robots will take our job if our job is like a robot. If your job is being a robot, then a robot will take your job. You know, that's very obvious. And I will talk more about what that means. But the opportunity really is, I think the future is better than we think. I think we have to think positively about the future. We can always focus on the problems, but you know, we've solved so many things in the past. We're going to solve in the next 20 years energy. We're going to solve the water problem. We're going to solve diseases. What we can't solve with technology is how we live, you know, social and political things. That will take a little bit more effort than a new app. You know? So if you want to be successful in the future, technology is a tool, and it's a, it's a powerful tool. But transformation is really how we look at the world and how we need to pay more attention. So let me start with this. We're going to be navigating what I call the game changers. Uh, there's nine of them. Uh, in my book, which we'll have later on for a book signing, uh, the book is called Technology versus Humanity. I explain that in details, but basically what's happening here is that we have cloud computing, we have the blockchain, we have all the things that you read about every single day, and they're basically going to be changing our world up and down in the next couple of decades. And so the question is, how do you navigate these game changes? And not just you, but you know, also, of course, our government. 
global government, local government, international government, national government, because there's going to be a lot of challenges. But the opportunities, you know, McKinsey says roughly the digital transformation is roughly a hundred trillion dollar opportunity, if you get it right. So it's going to take a little bit of wisdom. And so for what I would recommend for you is those four steps that I use to understand this. First, to observe, to pay attention. If I ask you today, can you tell me what your company is going to be doing in five years? What exactly? How are you going to make money? Do you have an answer? Or is it just the same, just better? Well, the fact is, you know, I used to be in the music business. A long time ago, I was a musician and producer. And then I did some musical digital startups. And in those days, you know, we sold music. You know those round plastic discs called CDs? Remember those? Yeah? And where's the music now? Up, up there. Music is in the cloud. And you guys have Spotify right here. I think it's about 200 pesos a month or so for Spotify, right? For 200 pesos, you get 21 million songs. What is the unit price? Zero. <laughs> I mean, our world has changed. We have to observe. We have to understand. Now, understanding does not mean reading smart reports or listening to futurist speakers. Understanding means to go inside. I mean, you can, you can listen to your kids and see what information they give you, but to understand your kids, if you have kids, that's a whole different thing. Right? You have to actually go inside. Then you have to imagine things, and then you transform. This is very important, I think, for our future, the skills that we need. Let me start with this important slide that I use a lot, the, the nature of exponentiality. And, uh, you know Moore's law and Matkov's law, technology doubles in power, Every 12, 16, 24 months, depending on which way you're looking. So we have this curve. This is very hard for us to understand. You know how humans think? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, linear. Because we're organic. Technology takes leaps. So the, the mobile phone that I use now, it has the same computing power than the machine that brought the Americans to the moon. And the mobile phone I use in 10 years will have a million times the capacity of the one I have now. So we're going to live in a world that's dramatically different. So the, the key thing that's happening is exponential and convergent, right? Industries are converging. If you're in healthcare and medical, your industry is converging with technology. Genetic engineering, CRISPR, that's technology. If you're in the car industry, your industry is converging with technology. If you're in the media business, it already has converged with technology. <laughs> I mean, this is things that we have to remember. When you go up the scale, it's very dangerous to think linear. 10 years from now, we're going to be roughly at 512. That's 50x as different. So your children will live in a world where they don't know how to drive a car because a car drives itself. You speak to it. They will not know what the book looks like. That's very sad, but maybe there'll be some books around in different ways. They will definitely not know what a CD or a DVD looks like. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have mind-boggling changes, most of them very positive, but also quite demanding, which is why I say business as usual is dead or dying. If your business is still functioning like it did 10 years ago, you're just extremely lucky. And it will sooner or later happen to you. I mean, look at the media business, the music business, the film business, the book business, the publishing business, the tourism business, Airbnb. I mean, all these things are happening. Right? 
completely different than just 10 years ago. So if you're in banking or insurance or government or mining or gas and oil, give it 10 years, you, know, you get to the same place. And that's a, a gigantic opportunity. We have to understand how we get there. You know, give you some examples here from the car industry. Okay? What's happening in the car industry, we're going to have the possibility of having a pretty much unlimited battery power. I mean, any of you in this room have an electric car? Yeah, anybody? Okay, not very many. We have some in Switzerland, but yeah, if the car only goes 300 kilometers, it's kind of a pain, you know? But those cars, you know, in the very near future, they're going to reach 1,000 kilometers, 2,000 kilometers in three years, and then 5,000 kilometers in five years, and in 10 years, you fill it up once. And the price will be one-tenth of what it is today. So this is basically what's happening in the car industry. We have to get ready for this because if you make engine parts for a regular car, transmission, gas engine parts, you have a window of five to 10 years until that's no longer needed. You need it for the old cars that we still have, of course, right? but not for the new cars. And you see that this, the, the forecast here is quite clear. Hybrid cars, electric cars, hydrogen cars, everything else declining. Is that the end of the car industry? No, it's the new beginning. I mean, look at the music business. Again, as a comparison, it was $44 billion 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and then the internet came and killed it. Okay. Went down to $14 billion. Now we have music in the cloud, streaming. It's 1.5 billion a month is what people are paying, about 110 million subscribers. It's gonna go back to 50 billion. So the key question you have to ask yourself when you're talking about transformation, is not where the money is, because the money is being generated, but, but if you're going to get it. I always say to the record labels, there's new money in the music business, but you're not, you're not gonna get it. Because you've, you've waited too long. We have to think about what that means when cars can actually fly, as we have said in science fiction circles. But this here is a much closer reality. These cars are not autonomous in the sense of they, they can't go anywhere. They can only go on fixed routes. I guarantee you we're going to have lots and lots of cities in the world where we're going to take electric cars that drive like a robot on fixed roads from the hotel to the airport. And, but you cannot take them up to the mountains for a nice week, weekend or so. Right? They would not know what to do. <laughs> but this is going to change our cities. And uh, you know, many, I think many of us already are quite aware of this, that in the car industry and transportation, we're going to see like a Spotify for cars. It's completely obvious. Already, it was already happening in the US, Mercedes-Benz and BMW, Porsche. You know, so you can, you can basically buy a subscription, then you take whatever car you want. Or you can take the scooter, right? or even the helicopter with the same subscription. So today's unusual may quickly be tomorrow's normal. This here, for example, is a company called Weisun in China. They do 3D printed houses. They make houses from a printer. Okay. This house here, I saw the other day when I was in China, uh, this house here has printed the outside and the inside in four days. They're printing the concrete, and this concrete is 100% recyclable. I mean, any of you in the construction business, you know what that means, right? I mean, concrete is the worst substance for recycling, and the construction business is the most backwards in so many ways, right? And now, all of a sudden, yeah, we can print the house, we can print the chairs, and they used to be very ugly. 
and now they're getting better. Sometimes I joke that the next step is to print the people who are going to be in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they don't get go there, but you never know. Right? So we're living in the biggest technological transformation in human history. I mean, all the stuff we saw before, the electricity, the, the printing press, books, computers, and the internet, and now, you know, now we're here. We're at the, like the total takeoff point of all the stuff that used to be science fiction. If you're in the oil industry, you know this. It's the end of oil sooner or later. Right? Whether it's 10 or 15 or 20 years, we're going to have new technology that makes more money. And it's better for the environment. Science fiction becoming science fact. Now, if you're a scientist, you will, of course, debate this. Because there, you know, there's always things that are not working. <laughs> and not everything is exponential. But let me show you this short clip, just as a bunch of examples. So when I look at these examples, I could go on for the next five hours. <laughs> I always say, you know, the biggest challenge that we're facing is not globalization. This is where America is wrong, right? It's automation. We're going to automate so many things, then we have to say, well, if everything's automated, what do we do? And who gets the benefit of automation? But automation is something that we're inventing ourselves, so there's so many positive things about it. I'll tell you more how we're going to solve the other problem on the other side, but basically this is what's happening in the next year, uh, 10 years. We're going to stick in the old business, even farming, right? and energy, and city, and out comes the smart business. Smart farming, smart energy, smart city, smart home, maybe even smart government. That's an oxymoron, I just can't but. But anyway, I mean, government is, in fact, a very interesting example. Social security administration, passports, voting. I mean, if we can digitize that, how much money can we save? Of course, then there's a the question of surveillance and trust. And, right? But anyway, we're going to go into this age, and that's basically everything that we do is going to be digitally transformed. But let's not transform one thing that's really important. That's us. There's many things about us that should not be transformed. There's many things that we need to keep. I mean, uh, social media is the best example. Right? The blessings of social media is everybody can be a broadcaster, everybody can you know, have fans. But the negative effect is most of the news we have on social media is in some way or the other an algorithm. Right? It's very easy to manipulate. That's not so good. So we have to think about this. You know, this is a huge temptation. Again, uh, roughly a $100 trillion transformation. 
And this is really the low-hanging fruit for you in this room. Look at your business and say, okay, what can I make smart? What can I connect? What can I make more efficient? But also, how can I invent new things? This is the main thing that, of course, we're talking about, like the Internet of Things, right? smart cities. We can save 50% of energy, make deliveries more efficient, and so on. But then there's, of course, a huge issue of security in the, that we have to solve. And then, of course, self-driving cars and the, you know, assisted driving. This guy, is very, this guy is very excited about his self-driving car. But uh, that's going to be assistance basically everywhere, right? <laughs> so he's really enjoying himself. And then, and then we have uh, you know, assisted machines like Cortana, Siri, Amazon, Echo, Alexa, Google Home that we can speak to. I'll show you an example there shortly. And augmented reality allows us to do things like Tom Cruise in Minority Report. I mean, this thing costs about 5,000 euros right now. <laughs> what is that? How many pesos? That's a, that's a lot of pesos. But it's a Microsoft HoloLens. It's amazing. Imagine what you can do with that as an architect, as a doctor, as a policeman. For social terms, you know, I think this would not be so acceptable in a social environment, but it's a great professional tool. So in my book, I talk about what I call the mega shifts. Okay? The mega shifts are a keystone of digital transformation. When people ask me about transformation, they usually mean digitization. But it's a lot more than that. So to go more into depth, we won't have the time here, but I did publish in my book chapter three on this, but uh, you can download the whole thing at megashifts.digital, and it's also in Spanish, the entire chapter, megashifts.digital. Uh, you can do that later if you wish. But I'll, sh I'll show you a couple of examples. So this whole thing is like, imagine like a moving map of change. Right? All these things are happening at the same time. For example, cognification. That means machines are getting smart. Machines can look at patterns, they can learn, what's called deep learning. They can understand the world, not like we do, ah, but they're, they're no longer dumb. Right? And this is basically, everywhere you look, people are talking about intelligent systems and you know, cognified possibilities and so on, and that leads to virtualization. Like now you can have a virtual copy of your machine that's in the shop, you have your machine here, and then you have a digital twin here that allows you to maintain it and to predict maintenance and, you know, and basically make it more efficient, more transparent. You have robots everywhere. I mean, the industrial robot used to be $150,000 10 years ago. Now it's $10,000 for Baxter, and it'll be $1,000 in five years for a simple robot. I mean, we're going to have to live with that and figure out how do we actually live in a world that's augmented, where we see augmented reality, mixed reality. There are many issues about this, of course, like confusion, <laughs> uh, you know, things that we would mess up, and lastly, automation. It's, it's both a very amazing opportunity, but also a big social challenge. Right? I always say the more that we automate, the more we have to also protect what should not be automated which is not exactly an easy thing to do when you think about all of the moving things that we have here. I'll give you a short example again on what, what's already happening in this turf.
mean, believe it or not, people are now actually buying elevators that are connected, elevators that can talk, because they want to use the data. Well, five years ago, it didn't matter. So now every elevator company is connecting the elevators and making sure they have the Internet of Things integrated there. So again, the megashifts, megashifts.digital, if you want to download for the rest of it. So let me explain what transformation really means for us and go beyond the standard stuff. You know, I do so many talks on transformation, and in many, in many countries and, and companies, people say that transformation is everything that we don't know goes, becomes transformation. It's not quite that simple. I think really what we're seeing here is that the physical world and the digital world are, are coming together. They're converging. I mean, that brings a lot of cultural changes. I'm sure you know, you know it's, it's almost impossible to go offline these days. I always say offline is the new luxury. It's like you get a benefit, you don't, you don't connect. Five years ago, it was like, yeah, I want to connect. That's a huge benefit. And now you're saying, oh, I don't have to connect. I'm, you know, I can relax. Like on the airplane, it used to be on the airplane, but now it's everywhere. So physical, digital, and then, of course, humans and machines. And we're going to not converge, but we're going to collaborate a lot more. And the third point is the important one. It could be awesome, as I say, across the border, or it could be worrisome. Why could it be worrisome? Because uh, technology is basically now everywhere. We can't even do anything without technology anymore. <laughs> and how does it change our society? And what do we need to know? Do you think in the future that everybody has to be an engineer? Because we have so much technology? Well, the answer is no. Because technology will engineer itself. Well, not always, but in some instances, I'll explain in more detail a little bit later. But here's the problem with the worrisome, right? You know what the business model, what the companies are that are running this kind of business model? Right? Data mining. The top 20 companies of the world are using this model. Google, Facebook, Alibaba, Amazon, uh, Baidu, and so on. It's on the top 20 companies in the world are data mining our information. To which I would say, too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. I think you know this from beer and alcohol and, you know, uh, you know yes, we, we don't make it illegal, but too much of it is probably also, you know, so we're not going to make Facebook illegal, but too much of Facebook is a bad thing. You know? So how are we going to find the compromise? Well, here's the story, right? Governments have to monitor, supervise, and regulate. There's no way around it because, you know, just in the case of Facebook, we're talking about 2.6 billion people with one guy named Mark Zuckerberg holding 63% of preferred stock, who can decide whatever happens. He's the most powerful man in the world. He is the true president. So I think regulation is an interesting topic here. Users must make choices, and industry leaders must be accountable. You are accountable for what you invent. That's basically what it is. So I think that's something we need to think about and discuss. I'll talk later about what I call digital ethics. Same example. Take this example here. If you're in the healthcare business, you know, scanning my DNA, my biomes, my phenotype, all the information in my body currently costs around $11,000. If I have this information, I can predict diseases. I can connect with other information and I can prevent diseases. I can go from sick care to healthcare. I mean, think of this opportunity. So I would say clear yes to that, but also a clear no to the other. 
I don't think it's a good idea if, if we then think that the human is a machine because we've scanned the body. I don't know about you, but I don't believe that humans are machines. An argument can be made, has been made, and I'll cover it later, but this is, of course, a huge challenge in our thinking. So let me talk about humans and machines, transformation of work, because that goes with the transformation of our general uh, landscape around us. This is our future. We're going to work a lot more with technology. Whether it is an actual robot or a, a virtual robot or a software or intelligent machine or an app or voice-controlled or a helmet or whatever you want to call it, right? Because these are extremely powerful tools. I mean, imagine you're wearing a helmet, you can go inside the data, you can figure out what goes where in a hundred times as fast. That's kind of like being superhuman, if you want. If you want. Stats are really quite simple. Machines will increasingly do the routine work. Uh, this stat from the World Economic Forum is actually an understatement. It says uh, 2025, 48% of work will be done by humans and the rest by machines. I think it's a lot higher than that. But don't fear. This is actually a good thing. I explain why. It's a hard thing because it's an inevitable change, but it's also a good thing because basically anything that can be digitized or automated will be. Music is digitized, books are digitized, films are digitized, the bank is digitized, insurance is becoming digitized, government is going digital, manufacturing, production. That's called the end of routine. So look at your own job and say, which part of my job is routine? And then you can sort of see how automation will come in and do part of that job, like, you know, using software like Slack or other things that can automate things. So here's an estimate of what will happen here. This is the percentage uh, of the work that can be automated. So if your travel agent, 56% can be automated, a text preparer, 54%. These are global numbers. Does that mean we'll be out of work? It means that some of our tasks will be automatable. So with the free time that we have, we can do other things, or we can just say, well, we, don't, we work less. It's also an option. So that's not altogether a bad thing. But if your job is 100% routine, like checking out at the supermarket, that's just 100% routine, and that, that means the end of the entire job. Right? But here it just means the end of a task. So I looked at my own job just for fun. There's a website where you can check this. It says there's 51% likelihood I can be automated. I would say that's pretty high. Huh? That's not all I do, a public speaker, but uh, this will be the GERD bot then. So you can, you can ask the GERD bot about the future. But I'm not worried because, you know, I think, okay, if I can automate, for example, an intelligence report or fact-finding, then I can do other things. And I have already adjusted. In my business 10 years ago, we sold, we sold reports on the future. The future of Switzerland, the future of whatever, right? And we made lots of money, but you know, now you go to Google Trends and you ask them about Switzerland. Uh, just in two years, you'll, you'll be speaking to IBM Watson about the future of Mexico, or we'll give you an answer. Maybe you can have IBM Watson run the country then, you know, as a cheap solution. But here's the flip side. Anything that cannot be digitized, and there is a lot, becomes extremely valuable. And what is that? 
I mean, it's obviously clear, you know, think about what we actually do. We build relationships with the clients, we build trust, we negotiate, we create new business models, we invent stuff, we make mistakes, we discover things. Can a machine do any of those things? Uh, you could argue, yes, eventually it will learn how to have imagination. <laughs> but it is still a machine. You know what makes a machine what makes a human? We actually exist. Machines don't exist. And they shouldn't. Will you call that existence when they're really clever? Maybe that's a discussion, right? But clearly, we're going to go in the future that we'll see this. Non-routine work is the future. You can already see this chart from The Economist. Anything that's non-routine, if you have kids, this is what they have to learn. Don't let them learn any routine. That includes about 80% of an MBA. So learn stuff that's not routine, whether it's manual, you know, craftsmanship, artists, plumbers, electricians, manual, non-routine, or cognitive non-routine. These things will be at least 50 years before a computer understands what purpose is or, or passion. I mean, all of you have passion for your work. That's why we're here. Can a computer have passion? I think it can understand when we have passion, right? But, uh, you know, to have, uh, as they say in, in Buddhist uh, uh, literature, they say, a, a human is distinguished by the capability to suffer. That's what makes us human. Machines don't suffer, so... New skills. Think about education. Think about your kids. This is what they needed a little while ago, and the World Economic Forum says, okay, in the future, critical thinking, creativity, emotional intelligence, cognitive flexibility. Do you know what those people were called 10 years ago that had all the skills? They're called troublemakers. If, if you talk to an HR department, they would say, don't, we don't want an emotional person that asks critical questions. We want somebody to execute. And now you want somebody that can execute because you have to execute and that has emotional intelligence. And there's lots of literature showing that, research showing that basically women have a lot more emotional intelligence than men. So we have some catching up to do. That's understanding stuff, right? That's, that's where the future is going. And though our schools are going to change, we're going to go away from this traditional approach of STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, because we think if you have a STEM job, you can save the day. And today you can. In 10 years, it's about what I call hecky. Humanity, ethics, creativity, imagination. So if you have kids who are going to school, they should learn that. Because a computer will never have that. Of course, if you can have both, great. You can be a scientist and a humanist, even better. Bottom line is this, when we talk about transformation, machines don't do, don't understand, don't want, don't care about relationships. And what does the human brain care most about? I mean, you may be another case when you think about technology in the wider sense that we don't really care much about data. We use data because, you know, it's, it's interesting. What we care about is relationships, engagement, experience, and trust. This is why you can be successful with a client that, that, uh, that you can trust and the other way around provided that you have the right product. Machines don't do that. They don't understand how that works. And trust, 
I'm afraid to say, is not digital. There's no app for happiness. You can't download an app, say, push the happy button to 10, I'll be a happy man today. That's not how it works. So when you're transforming, make sure you don't forget this, right? that it's a relationship between you and the customer. If you have bad technology, you're not serving the customer right, you're being inefficient, that, that will not work. Right? But the other way around, you can have great technology and no trust, you're still dead. So it goes to hand in hand with what we want to do in the future. Let's talk about artificial intelligence for a second. I get this question all the time. Here's a very simple formulation. We're going from computing in terms of being programmed to computers that are cognitive, that are thinking. Okay. Now, when you think about thinking computers, it's actually a very bad word because these computers aren't intelligent and they're not thinking. Not like us. They're thinking in the sense of zeros and ones. But they can think about a hundred trillion zeros and ones. Do you know how much we can think about? 230 trillion calculations per second. That's what our brain can do. But in an entirely different way than a computer. And Demis Hassabis, who runs DeepMind in London, a famous AI company because of the game that they cracked, the Go game. Computer systems that turn information and data into knowledge. That's AI. Now, if I would see this, I would say, wait a minute, you know, this is what I do. I have knowledge. Can the machine have knowledge? Well, the answer is, it can have a certain kind of knowledge. Like all of you know TripAdvisor, use TripAdvisor, yeah, TripAdvisor. When you use TripAdvisor, does TripAdvisor have knowledge? You say, well, yeah, sometimes it's interesting, it tells me what to do. But, you know, I have better knowledge because I, I'm, I'm right in front of the restaurant and I know it's bad, yeah? no matter what TripAdvisor tells us. When you use Google Maps, all of us, without exception, question Google Maps. And why is that? That is because it has great knowledge, but there's, there's a few things it doesn't quite know yet because they're not data. You know there's going to be a demonstration or some incident or so because you know from what you read that you don't go there now. And how would, how would a machine know that? So this is very important that we distinguish in this way. I'll play you a short video about the most important application of AI today, and that is voice translation, voice recognition, and voice control. <laughs> Mira, mi amor, la vaca. ¿Cómo le hace la vaca? Hey, Google, what sound does the cow make? This is a cow. Hey, Google, toca el sonido de un caballo. Esto es un caballo. Well, this is the Google Assistant. It works pretty well, as you can see. But I wonder sometimes they're going to say, well, hey, hey, Google, I need a wife. Yeah? Make a suggestion. Yeah. Get me married. Yeah. Take over my life. And you've all seen the autonomous car story. This is a really amazing story. Because as, we, as this is unfolding, it's quite clear that what we're talking about here is not intelligent cars. They're not drivers like we are. Not yet. They're assisting us. The real thing about technology today in the next decade is intelligent assistance. I'm still there. I'm still driving. I can read the newspaper. I mean, if you've ever been to Los Angeles in a traffic jam, the Tesla is a great thing to have. You can close your eyes a little bit, you can sleep, but you can't go away, you can't sit in the back, and I don't really want to. 
I think to have truly intelligent machines that can drive like us, that's quite a bit away. But this will be a really powerful future. Every car will have assistance. And I think we have to get used to and see what that means for our future. So let me show a short clip. This is a commercial by Michelob, the beer company. It, it shows really interestingly that difference between humans and machines. Right? Uh, so let me just play this real quickly. It's only worth it. It's only worth it if you can enjoy it. Never mind the beer now. I, I not mean to promote the beer, but there's an important message. Right? The, the machine can do all these things, but it doesn't know anything about anything else that is of true enjoyment. That's a very important lesson, I think, for us when we look at the future, what it means. You know, because the future is going to be that all around us, machines will tell us what to do. You know, giving us notifications. By the way, this is the best thing you can do in your life. Switch off the notification now right? for everything except for your personal messages, right? for SMS or so. Because right? that's basically how, how it works here. I always say that algorithms know the logic of everything but the feeling of nothing. In other words, machine can tell us very good about reality and logic and facts and figures, and, but do they really know what matters? And so this is where we have to draw the line, I think, for us when we talk about transformation. This is a great graph showing artificial intelligence. You know, we have assisted intelligence, we have automation, we have augmented intelligence, and we have autonomous intelligence. This is where we have to ask the question. Intelligence that assists us, I will give that thumbs up. And that's going to be our future, clearly. But we do have to take a good look at what that means. And how can we create other things around it? Automation, we have to have a discussion. When we automate, what's going to happen to people who are automated away? Will we have an automation tax, as Bill Gates has suggested? Well, any such tax would be extremely sort of anti-capitalist, right? But is there another option? Big discussion point. Augmented intelligence, virtuality, also something we have to look at. And here on the last one, as Elon Musk has says, to me that's a clear no. We don't want machines with an IQ of a million connecting to a million other machines with an IQ of a million. That would not end very well for us. <laughs> but the reality of that is it's about 20, 30 years away. So we have time to discuss it and figure out how we can be safe. Let's put it this way. All of these things are going to be amazing for us. But we have to put a context in it. We have to understand how we use it, how we don't use it, because I think societies are driven by technology but defined by humanity. In other words, there's things that we can be doing that technically is possible, but do we want to? And if we do it, how do we deal with the consequences? Because technology can very soon pretty much do anything you want to. Getting this balance between humans and machines, getting that right is, is crucial, especially here, because you have a lot of cheap labor still. Right? So this whole discussion about those two things becomes really important. Sometimes better to keep people and make the machines change or bring in the machines and then upgrade the humans for other jobs. In Switzerland, where I live, all of the grocery stores are being automated at the checkout. 
So the big companies that run the grocery stores have said, we don't fire people, we train them how to go to the organic food department or to how to write recipes. Right? So they haven't gotten rid of people, they've moved them to another human job. This, of course, has to be encouraged. So on one hand, we have privacy, identity, security, that's the stuff that we want. And on the other hand, we have the benefits, right? liquidity, flow, efficiency. There has to be a balance. If there's no balance between the power of technology and what humans want, we are in deep trouble. So when we transform, we have to think about that too. It's a revenue model, and there's, of course, other models that also matter. That brings me to the Digital Ethics Council I've proposed in many countries, and some of them actually have them. In my book, I proposed this three years ago, that every country, every state, and every large company should have a digital ethics officer, a chief ethics officer, to understand what it does, what we actually do. Does your state have an ethics officer? This is not just about AI, it's about work, it's about all of those things, you know, because ethics is about doing the right thing which, of course, is a, a tough discussion we can have later when we do the questions. But here's the bottom line. In this world, we're just coming. The world where machines are everywhere. This is the key question. How do we put the human back inside? And make no mistake about this. You can transform as much as you want, but if all you do is technology, you become a commodity. And the last thing you want is to become a commodity, because commodities are cheap. The price goes to zero. What do you actually stand for? What is the difference having it here rather than having it there or somewhere else? And that leads me to the new economic paradigms. This kind of thinking, exponential growth at all times, growth, jobs, profits, that's not going to work here. Because there's other things you know, that matter to people. And this is difficult, we don't really have an alternative to capitalism. We've tried a lot of things, right? There's no suitable model where we can say, well, let's do this instead. But, you know, so I've come up with what I call sustainable capitalism. Seems like an oxymoron as well. People, planet, purpose, prosperity. And I can guarantee you in 10 years, people will measure you along those lines. Are you doing the right thing for people, for society? for sustainability, for the environment? Does your company have a purpose? So you have companies like Unilever and Patagonia and many others who are already moving in this direction. And that's going to be a big challenge for us, how to figure out this business model. JFK said, GDP measures everything except that which makes our lives worthwhile. That was 1967. So how do we measure what makes our lives worthwhile? Well, it's those three things. Right? Business models that are good for everyone, the circular economy, sustainable, recyclable, and human benefit. And this is not an ideology. Because guess what? Now, if you make the shift to these kind of business models, there is a lot more money in there than ever before. It's just a different way of looking at society. So let me summarize, and then we'll do some questions. First, the future is a mindset, it's not a time frame. So the future is not about what's going to happen up there in the clouds you know, in five years or somewhere over in the US or in Europe or whatever. The future is in our heads. The key question is for you, do you have a future mindset? Now, you can buy a future mindset on Amazon. 
You have to, you have to train it. Five to ten percent of your time should be spent in looking at things that don't already exist, that may exist. That's how big companies transform, for example. Our governments, our small companies, just looking at the future uh, five, ten percent of the time and saying, well, I just found this, you know, could that be interesting to what I do? Take a wider view. The music industry, from the, from, the, from the record to the cloud. The car industry, from owning a car to sharing a car. The banking business, from owning a building to running a blockchain system. And here's the challenge for you. You have to do the, the current thing, because that's what currently works, and then you have to invent the new thing while you're doing the current thing. That sounds kind of paranoid in a way, or schizophrenic. But it's essentially called hybrid thinking. So you spend your time doing today really well because that's what it works, but you have an edge product. You know, you're doing something that's maybe interesting for the future. And before you know it, if you do it right, those two things become even. And then in the future, the new core takes over. What do you think the German car companies did after the threat from Tesla, Toyota, General Motors? They said, right now, this you know, electric car, that, that's just a tiny piece. But now they came with it and said, okay, now we can have our future is going to be both. And then it's quite clear in 10 years, it's mostly about car sharing, mobility services, electric cars. In 20 years, it will be the exception for us to drive ourselves. And I say that as a German, you know, that's something to cry about in many ways. Right? I enjoy driving, <laughs> but yeah. I think that's where we're going. So the hybrid thinking. Take care of the present and prepare for the future. That's really important. Requires a lot of energy and it should not be on top of everything else. Huh? The other thing is we need to hyper-collaborate. All of you in this room, we can't go to the future by ourselves. We have to be like this. You can't own the future. Some companies think they do. <laughs> But, you know, it's very hard to own the entire future. You have to collaborate. I mean, if you're looking at what's happening uh, in terms of transformation, look at the news. Uh, we're going from this idea of an ecosystem, you know, Microsoft from the 60s and 70s, and, and oil companies and banks, you know, basically closed systems, to an ecosystem. Transportation, mobility, smart city, design, you know, data. That's what we're building. And that's the thing that we have to understand, the man. we will not get to the future by ourselves. It'll be too slow, it'll take too much money. It's about collaboration. So I'm going to wrap up saying the, uh, the game changes I showed you earlier, there they are again, they're happening everywhere, but I really believe that understanding those are, is going to be very important. On top of all of that stuff, I think we have to remember what we are and what we want, right? These are the things that make us human. The future is awesome humans on top of amazing technology. How do you get to be an awesome human? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, good question if you have kids especially. I can tell you one thing, you can have amazing technology if you don't have a brand or a purpose or humans involved, then it's still useless. On the other hand, yeah, you can have great relationships and have a great humanity, but if you have bad technology, you'll probably lose as well. Right? So that is the key to transformation. Transformation is about culture, and then it's about using technology, and it's about doing new things. 
I'll leave it with a quote from David Bowie, one of my musical mentors when I was in the music business. He's a very smart guy who said, the future belongs to those that can hear it coming. And I think this is the number one thing that we have to work on, is to hear it coming, and then we, we always react. I mean, every country I go to, when people hear the future coming and they develop ideas, they find a response. They find their way into the future. Thanks very much for listening.